This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Monday. Welcome to the program, our phone number. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give me a call. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, it's that first Monday after the Super Bowl. If you guys uh, watched the uh, the big game uh, you, you saw what I saw again. I don't know if we all saw the same thing, but I saw a ton of camera action on Taylor Swift. <laughs> I honestly can't explain why. Uh, I was just telling uh, uh, one of our producers in the control room that if the plan was to get people to watch the Super Bowl because they thought they were going to see Taylor Swift and Ice Spice, yes, that was the goal. I think I saw more of them than I saw of any of the actual football going on. Then one of the guys I was watching the game with, he, um, he pointed out that he'd seen a study that showed that the actual amount of time in one hour of football was something like four minutes, or uh, excuse me, in, in a full game was like four, uh, four minutes or something like that per hour or something like that. It was, it was really weird uh, statistic, uh, nine minutes on how much people actually play while the clock is running. There's a lot of time that the clock is running and people aren't playing. And I was like, no way, it's that little. Um, but um, and I'm probably screwing up that statistic. I'll look it up later to correct it. But it was interesting. And I noticed it after he said it, that that clock runs and runs and those guys aren't running. <laughs> They're just there getting ready, talking, doing whatever. And then at some point they do, they run their play and blah, voila. Anyway, it was interesting to see the game. And um, I'm not a football fan. I'm, I, not that I don't like football. When I say that, I'm not a fan. It's, I, I'm just not a sports guy. So anyway, I hope everybody had a good uh, big game weekend uh, filled with wings and pizza and everything else that we eat during those uh, events. Now, some news. And there's a bunch of news. All right, there's a few things that we're going to get into tonight. Fannie Willis. Fannie Willis, um, she wouldn't take an emailed subpoena from the House Judiciary Committee. She's kind of rejecting that. And now a court, uh, the judge actually, is saying that she might actually risk being disqualified from the case. So that's interesting. The Supreme Court is finally um, going to be hearing the immunity case. That's a big deal. What they do with it, I don't know. And um, I guess the Taylor Swift factor uh, was effective because I'm looking at a, 
uh, headline here says the uh, Super Bowl had the biggest audience in history. So there you go. Uh, Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, they nailed it with the uh, with the ratings. Anyway, let us continue. Other big, big stuff, right? What you guys are tuned in for. The least popular vice president in American history. That's right. Vice President Que Malaeres. She is now saying that she is ready to serve. Obviously, uh, as we hear about more and more concerns about Biden's age, mental fitness, mainly his memory, right? Because the the special uh, counsel put out that report saying, you know, we were to charge this guy, but he forgot he did anything wrong. He actually forgot about his son dying. And that that's, you know, very worrisome to me. I don't know about you, but it worries me. I think if you can't remember something like that, can you remember anything else? You know, when else will your memory fail? It's not like you have a job where you can just pull it off with some ice cream and, and have the right people around you. I mean, when you're president, you really, you need a little bit more than a bunch of good advisors, right? I think you need to be able to do the job. And, and this is a uh, part of why I think Biden's um, in, in the position that he's in. So we've got that. We've got that. We've got Funny Willis. We also have a couple other things I want to get into. Oh, my gosh, this uh, shooting at the church. Ah, Joel Osteen. Now, listen, I know there's a lot of people, mainly people that are um, Christians, that um, are very critical of Joel Osteen. I'm not, personally. I think Joel Osteen's great. I love a good motivational message. I have no problem with that. Uh, Some people do. They think his doctrine isn't sound. But whatever the case may be, he was... um, he was targeted, right? I think he was, uh, I guess it's safe to say the word is targeted, that by this parishioner of his who was originally described as a woman and turns out was actually a a transgender woman, a a biological male from El Salvador. (laughs) Crazy, right? Uh, We're going to get into the details of that a little bit later on. But went in there, hurt a little boy, five years old. Um, last I checked, the boy was in critical condition. I hope that's um, improving, and I hope we don't have bad news coming out of that situation. But isn't it crazy? This guy goes in there and starts shooting up in the church with a rifle that says Free Palestine on it. I mean, it's it's just unthinkable to think that people do these things, number one, and that when they do them, they always have these rifles that have inscriptions on them. It's like they all go to the same school to become a mass shooter. You know, oh, make sure you put some sort of inscription on your gun. Make sure you, you leave some sort of manifesto. Make sure you have lots of red flags, tons all over your social media. And and make sure when we, when they interview your neighbors, you can say something like, hey, you know what, very nice guy. Never, never saw it coming. Never, never thought they'd do that. But when they interview your teachers, of course, they'll say something like, oh, yeah, this person was, you know, had tons of problems. Should have been uh, should have been institutionalized, but you know somebody dropped the ball, right? So it was the same thing we hear now. Lately, the latest um, symptom, in addition to being an incel and and a loner and this and that, the latest symptom that we see with school shooters, they're transgender. I mean, it's just crazy. Now, I'm not saying all transgenders are school shooters, but I am saying the last couple of school shooters were transgender. That that is what I'm saying, and I find that interesting. And uh, we'll probably get into the bottom of that when we have a discussion with folks that know a lot more than me on that issue. Anyway, 
So that's uh, all the stuff that's going on there. Uh, I think today's actually President Lincoln's birthday, by the way. All right. Let me see. Where do we go from here? Well, I think we're going to we're going to go to a discussion on election anxiety, because with Biden in such bad shape, people are really, really concerned. And and I think rightfully so. So I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about a different shooter, uh, the Oxford shooter and how his mom was prosecuted. And many believe that that was the right thing to do. So. We're going to break that down to you a little bit as well. I also want to talk about the Joel Osteen shooting a little bit later. And, uh, you know, of course, this is going to be an opportunity for the left to come out and say, oh, my gosh, look at what you're doing. This is terrible what you're doing. So uh, we need to take everybody's gun. No more AR-15s. You know, you know, the the usual, the usual um, suspects doing what they usually do. And and then I want to talk about this interesting story out of Canada about a charity in Canada, and it gets derailed by, yep, you guessed it, politics and the media. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I, uh, um, anyway, and I don't want to, I don't want to, well, maybe choose my words. I was just thinking, uh, uh, anyway, I, I just, look, I mean, Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah, it was in February, February, uh, January after being elected. The late January, early February. He said, um, "It's not we lead, uh, not just." uh, Here's what drives the driver in the states that are affected. Here's what you can do, the drivers. Now, we can play this tape uh, yeah. over and over and over. Uh, and as funny as it is sad, uh, President Biden struggling for words, a condition known as aphasia, very popular with people with traumatic brain injuries, very popular with people with dementia. And, and of course, he's had a couple of open brain surgeries, so... Um, doesn't surprise me that he has these struggles, but it, it does surprise me that Americans have put so much confidence in him. And it doesn't surprise me that people are very anxious about what's going on as we approach this new election. So I figured, you know what, we've got to get with somebody who knows exactly what's going on because the research, um, the research is showing that presidential elections stress out the majority of Americans. However, um, therapists are sharing that there are ways to identify and find relief while carrying out our due diligence in choosing our next president. So I want to get with one of our faves here on the show, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, She is uh, America's psychiatrist. She's also known as the terrorist therapist. 
and she's our guest, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back. Thank you so much. You bet. So when we hear about, you know, uh, Kamala Harris saying that she's prepared to, uh, ready to serve, as she said, uh, because people are very concerned and there's these all these reports, including the special counsel report, uh, citing Biden's memory issues. Uh, to me, it seems extremely clear that we're just, it's not if, but when uh, they announce, you know, Biden's out and she or someone else will be in. And, and, and this is, of course, going to stress out the majority of Americans because they're concerned as it is over his mental state and, and the accompanying anxiety that goes with an election. Yes. Well, you know, I first talked about Biden's uh, encroaching dementia, I called it, um, when he was running for president in 2020 from his basement. And I warned as many people, you know, did as many interviews and so on, got the word out as much as I could. And nobody really wanted to hear that. (laughs) But, you know, since then, um, it has been clear. I mean, I, I was basing all this on Uh, My work as a forensic psychiatrist where I do cases, uh, including cases where competency is an issue. So I was used to looking for the signs. And uh, nowadays, uh, you don't have to be a psychiatrist, no less a forensic psychiatrist, to see that he has dementia. And I also more recently was talking about how he's not going to make it to the 2024 election. You know, I thought either he was going to have... Uh, I still think either he's going to have some physical, you know, catastrophic event or just the fact that every day now, because we're seeing him more now at his campaign stops, um, it is becoming clearer and clearer that he has dementia. Uh, And so now we have more polls that are showing higher and higher numbers of people who, you know, sometimes they'll say it that he's too old to be president. It's not about age. It's about someone's physical and mental capacity. Um, yes, of course, as people age, they generally you know, lose some of that, but not everybody. Um, some people can be sharp as a tack uh, to over 100. So, um, so it's not age, but it is, as you were saying, you know, he had some years ago, he had um, two aneurysms, brain aneurysms uh, and a brain bleed. And so clearly, you know, that did some damage. And also, um, he has, he's on medication for an arrhythmia, for atrial fibrillation. So that can cause transient ischemic attacks when oh, yeah. blood or oxygen isn't getting to the brain. So, you know, it could be um, Alzheimer's because that's the most common, but I think it's more likely that it's a kind of vascular dementia. Wow. And, and that's a, a, a major concern. Again, I only know about this because I went through this with my dad. And I saw, you know, somebody who was really with it and then wasn't with it anymore and wasn't able to be with it. And it was a very um, um, progressively degenerative situation for him. You know, it wasn't like overnight it happened. It was, you know, today was this, tomorrow was that, forgetting this, forgetting that, not remembering which front door was yours when we would take a walk around the block, things like that. And, and I think we've seen a lot of these instances where these things happen to Biden. So, I mean, obviously you haven't had a chance to examine Biden, but just based on your expertise and seeing these things, you, you, you see certain things that could indicate other things. And 
I think people who aren't trained as, um, as you alluded to, as forensic uh, psychiatrists, they see things too. <laughs> and it, it's, it's abundantly clear to most of us, something is wrong, right? Whether we can diagnose the guy or not, we're, we're in bad shape and people are, you know, stressed out about the future and the state of our country. Uh, what's your advice to people who are, you know, really uh, bent out of shape over this? Well, you know, it is really unfortunate that in all these years, you know, that he has been president, um, he has made some some huge uh, mistakes for the country, um, you know, between the border and, and um, all lots of things. But the biggest mistake that he made, and that had to do with his um, deficiency in abstract thinking, the, the biggest mistake was the surrender in Afghanistan. And that's when the world um, saw just how bad, what bad shape Biden was in. And that's when things started happening, when Russia invaded Ukraine, when China started acting up. All our enemies, since then, terrorists, of course, since then, all our enemies, you know, have, have been gleeful <laughs> to see who's mm-hmm. running America. Really, nobody, well, Obama is r- running America, but... Um, but to see that the president, you know, the, the named president, um, does not really, is not able to think straight. So, so it's understandable, of course, that, you know, as more people are, have come to realize this, um, that we would be more concerned. I mean, what's particularly of concern is um, the situation in the Middle East. You know, he forgot the name of Hamas the other day. I mean, how do you solve a problem like Hamas if you don't even know it exists or who they are? Right. Um, so, you know, and, and it's, and people think, some people think that um, the problem is just, you know, for Israel, but terrorists, um, it's, they've always planned on global jihad. They are enacting that now. Europe is pretty much taken over. Um, and so they are also coming into America through the southern border and the northern border, too, for that matter, and having sleeper cells and planning attacks. And we have this president who who doesn't know where he is half the time. Yeah, it's it's, it's quite remarkable. Uh, folks, we are on with uh, Dr. Carol Lieberman. She's a forensic psychiatrist. You, you know her as America's psychiatrist, the terrorist therapist. She's been at this uh, for, for a long time and knows exactly what she's talking about. And I want to continue our discussion on election anxiety as we move forward, because I know people are very, very concerned about that. Listen to this. As the American Psychological Association survey reports, 68% of U.S. adults said the 2020 presidential election was a significant source of stress in their lives, which is an increase from of 52% back in 2016. So I want to get into that and see how we can better handle the stress associated with the um, with the election as as a whole, not to mention Biden's, you know, declining, failing mental health. And I also want to get into this uh, Crumbly case, uh, which I find interesting. There was a a sentence given to the mom, uh, which uh, I just think was a very, very interesting uh, turn of events. So I want to get Dr. Carroll's thoughts on that as well. Folks, stick with us. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on in the Middle East and around the world. And as he said in his press conference, we should be focused on two things. The outcome of this report, he was cleared completely, while Donald Trump faces 40 federal felony charges for obstruction of justice and refusing to protect our national secrets. And President Biden is accomplishing remarkable things for our country. There you go. That's Senator Chris Coons saying that Biden's done remarkable things for the country. I think they're definitely worthy of remarks. I don't know if they're positive uh, or praiseworthy remarks, uh, but very, very funny to see, you know, Biden loyalists making rounds on the weekends and and just making stuff up. I mean, I think anybody in their right mind would not um, make the, this case. I think Biden was not cleared as much as they just said they weren't going to charge the guy because he had a, a very poor memory and they thought that, you know, he was trying to be forthright, but he couldn't remember. That's very different from being cleared. Uh, I think Trump's getting a raw deal, but all, all that stuff aside, uh, we're going to continue our conversation on, on Biden's mental fitness uh, as well as the angst that comes with many voters uh, having to go to, to vote and the anxiety related to that as well. Dr. Carol Lieberman is our guest. Dr. Carol, America's psychiatrist, when you hear things like this and you see these stats coming in that say 68% of Americans are, are anxious headed to the polls, uh, what do we do? Well, <clears throat> the uh, number one thing to do, the antidote to anxiety is action. And so everybody, you know, whatever, um, whatever they are most concerned about, whatever party they support the most, they should be out there, um, you know, working for that party, working to try to make things uh, happen in a more civilized and, and reasonable kind of way. It is pretty absurd that, um, you know, this, um, this report that came out, wasn't he, here Biden for all these years avoided having cognitive tests, you know, um, and now the irony of it being a special counsel who did a long interview and, of course, revealed his incompetence, and he was just not competent to stand trial. Right. Therefore, <clears throat> therefore, you know, what does that tell us? It, it kind of leads to the 25th Amendment. I mean, if, if he's not competent, which is what I've been saying all along, if he's not competent to stand trial, 
then he has to be gotten rid of them. And of course, that's the even scarier thing. I mean, I know Kamala Harris has been out today or yesterday to talking about how ready she is. Right. <laughs> that's even scarier than Biden's dementia uh, yeah. because she has an even lower approval rate. And it, it's she's just so absurd. She's giggling all the time because she still can't believe that she became vice president. Yeah, and this is the part I think that's very interesting as well. I, I think Kamala Harris is, is incredibly beatable. That's just my opinion. And I think she'd be a great candidate to put up. And I think that's why they haven't put her up and why she's, you know, every time she's put herself uh, forward for uh, anything big like that, uh, she she hasn't succeeded. You know, she was appointed as a senator. She she ran for president and failed very, very quickly. So my, my, my thought here is, you know, we, we, we're going to go from bad to worse. But what do... What do people do? I, I mean, obviously, the the stress is going to continue as, as long as there's news and, and comments from people like Kamala Harris. But do we just, um, I don't know, do we practice mindfulness? <laughs> what, 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 what do American voters do in a situation like that? Well, as I was saying, it's action. I mean, mindfulness is fine. Listening to, you know, classical um, meditation, music and all that is fine. Mm-hmm. But nothing is as good as finding if it's in addition to a party that you want to support. um, It's also an an issue that you want to support or want to protest against. So everybody has, regardless of, you know, what party um, a person believes in, uh, certainly there are issues that people feel strongly about. So this is the time to be out there and, and joining a group that work is working on an issue that you feel really strongly about. And that will, you know, as because if you feel like if you see that you're doing something all the time, you know, putting in a lot of work towards something that you believe in, that will be very calming. Even if in the end um, your party doesn't win or this issue doesn't go the way you want, the fact that you've been, you know, working towards something, doing, doing the most that you can, that that will have a lot of psychological calming effects. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it, it's just it's just, it's an interesting time to to see what's going on. Doctor Carroll, stick with us. I want to come back. I want to talk about that sentencing of um, the Oxford shooter, and and I have a couple other questions I want to get uh, from you as well, uh, folks. Our phone number eight three three four eight two five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This report is not offered as an excuse or justification. This report is not offered to minimize the gravity, but we argue that this report combined with the other things that we have mentioned should persuade this court to a sentence of a term of years. If the professionals didn't recognize that he was on the precipice of a crisis, how do we then expect a mentally ill 15-year-old kid and ask for help? How can we expect a 15-year-old boy to tell a counselor that he had no relationship with his deepest, darkest secrets, the thoughts that took over his mind? 
Okay, so that is the attorney uh, in the Ethan Crumbly case uh, during sentencing. And again, his mother was also sentenced, and we're going to get a reaction from Dr. Carol Lieberman on that. Uh, But I don't want to confuse anybody with the shooter in the Lakewood um, incident that happened yesterday. We're going to talk about that in the next hour. That, of course, was a woman uh, who used uh, male aliases who shot some people at Joe Osteen's church in Texas. So we'll get into that. But this is the case of Ethan Crumbly and his mother, uh, who uh, was recently sentenced. Dr. Carroll, break this down for us. Yes, this is, uh, see, this is the reason to have optimism in America. We have a mm-hmm. president who's falling apart, but we have juries that come to the right conclusions most of the time. Um, This was a case of the mother of Ethan Crumley, Mm -hmm. uh, who was on trial for uh, involuntary manslaughter. It was the first time that a parent of a school shooter was put on trial themselves. And the jury fortunately came to the conclusion that she was guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Four counts were one for each of the students that her son killed. And, um, you know, this was a, uh, this was really uh, a, a very, very important case because it's going to have ramifications for other school shootings. Um, you know, first of all, the main thing is parents are going to realize that they could be, in fact, um, held responsible if, if their, if their child, their son, their daughter uh, commits a crime. And um, particularly, you know, if their child asks for a therapy, they shouldn't give them a gun instead. Right. And I think that's an important uh, thing that one would think everybody knows, but not so much, right? Yes. And this is an, I'm not really speaking against guns, just, of course, you know, if you have a child, I mean, this is, this case was really um, a, a very strong uh, case. I mean, I, I call her the uh, poster mom for um, school shooters. In other words, she did everything wrong. All the things that a school shooter, the profile of a school shooter uh, is, first of all, that they are abused and or neglected at home by their parents. And, and certainly um, she and, and her husband did neglect him, which is a form of abuse. Um, but not just for the six to eight months before the school shooting. What didn't come out so clearly was that this is something that had been going on for years since he was, you know, a little boy. Um, They used to leave him alone and uh, take take his phone, and they'd leave him alone, and they'd go out drinking and do all kinds of things, and then he would have to go to a neighbor and ask the neighbor to call his parents. So this has been going on basically his whole life. And what was really so sad was when he um, spoke up at his sentencing, he pled guilty and he was um, given life without parole. Hopefully uh, he'll have an appeal on that. But he talked about how this isn't my mother's fault. It isn't my father's fault. It isn't the school's fault. It's my fault because I'm really bad, you know, um, and I deserve to be in jail for the rest of my life. Now, that is so pathetic, and I'm not excusing, of course, what he did, but it is so pathetic to think that he really believed that, that and, and that came from his parents convincing him since he was a little boy that he was bad. He's a bad seed. Right. And so when he was saying that, it was so, you know, it was coming from, you could tell he really meant that. He wasn't just saying it, and that was the saddest part. 
Yeah, well, that, that's uh, heartbreaking. But I guess uh, some people find comfort in that, saying, "Well, at least the guy knows he's really bad." After you know, he ended the lives of um, you know uh, other students. So, what um, what does an involuntary manslaughter charge look like for the mother? Well, she's going to be um, sentenced. She hasn't been sentenced yet. She's going to be sentenced on April 9th. And each charge could be 15 years. So 15 times four, uh, the maximum she could get would be 60. And I don't think she's going to get the maximum, but I certainly hope she gets uh, more towards the higher end, you know, rather than just uh, just a token. Um, she's been in jail for about two and a half years so far. And I, she definitely deserves a significant amount. I mean, one of the things that sort of did her in was when she was asked about um, by her by her lawyer whether she would do anything different. And she had such arrogance and such, you know, she was determined to show she was a good mother. And she said, no, no, I thought about this and I wouldn't do anything different. Now, can wow. you imagine saying that in the audience of the court? Of course, we're, we're parents and other family members of the dead students and the injured students. And to, telling them uh, to their face, you know, no, I wouldn't do anything different. Wow. It's, uh, it, it almost sounds like, you know, she's a real psycho, like a sociopath type, you know, with no empathy. Well, yes. Um, there was definitely something. She definitely has some uh, serious. Um, psychological problems, and yes, like a sociopath, she had she had no empathy. Um, she was she was like not really there. There was just something a disconnect between her and reality. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the father. You know whether he's going to get the same whether the, a jury is going to give him the same verdict. Uh, of course, a lot will depend upon how likable he is. She was right. so unlikable, you know, perhaps he'll be more likable. But, of course, he also contributed to, um, to everything that happened with their son. Do you think this ends up becoming a, a trend in, in the, the legal world where they're going to begin to charge the parents of school shooters? I certainly hope so. Um, you know, now there is this precedent so it certainly uh, could happen. I mean, in different states, it might be called different things. This was involuntary manslaughter. Maybe it would be called something else in another state. But the point is that um, for parents to be held responsible, and not just for school shooters, I think parents need to start being held responsible for all kinds of crimes. Because the, the bigger issue here, and something that parents, a lot of parents don't, I don't know, they've forgotten or they just decided it's better if they're friends with their kids, but or they're just too involved with themselves like this mother was, um, you know, with making getting doing things that make her satisfied. Obviously, she wasn't getting enough satisfaction from being a mother. But um, the parents need to realize that everything they do from the very beginning when their child is born, everything they do affects what that child will become from You know, the child, the baby crying in the middle of the night. Do you get up and find out why? How long do you wait? (laughs) You know, that kind of thing, for example, makes children um, feel as though they're not their needs aren't going to be attended to. Do you do you how much do you read to your child as they're growing up? How much do you give them extracurricular activities? All the things that you do and don't do when your child is growing up has a profound determinant effect on who they become and not just whether they become a school shooter or not, but their whole life. Now this, what you're describing this, um, these reactions to 
how parents and caregivers treat children. Uh, would that potentially inform something you've brought up on this program a number of times uh, with respect to school shooters, uh, whether they become like incels or not? Um, well, that's a different um, uh, diagnosis or problem. I mean, I think we were talking about uh, Koberger, and I was talking about how Koberger right. was an incel. Um, and that is somebody who, um, a, 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 it's a young boy starts getting rejected from girls, just like Koberger did. Um, he starts getting rejected, and he, he becomes to comes to expect that he'll be rejected, and he builds up a, a, a real hatred, a rage towards women for not wanting to to give them the time of day, or go out with them, or have sex with them. So yes, I mean you know that's also um, depends on what how the parents are treating their child. Uh, during their young years, all the, I mean, it's all the, the my, most minute details that parents do or don't do, impressions that they give, what kind of relationship the child has with their mother, with their father. Um, all of these things go into a soup <laughs> that makes right. the, the child become what they become. Interesting stuff. Dr. Carol Lieberman, America's psychiatrist, let everybody know how they can uh, follow you and keep up to speed with all the work you're doing. Sure. Well, we've been talking about um, legal things. So one of my websites is expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. Expertwitnessforensicpsychiatrist.com. Folks, make sure you follow Dr. Carol Lieberman on all the social media. She's absolutely terrific. You see her on Court TV. She's here every now and again. And uh, whenever she's uh, giving analysis, I think you should pay attention. Dr. Carol, thanks again. You're very welcome. You bet. All right, folks, we're coming right back to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And before we get into any of that, I just wanted to, um, to um, A, just look at just, wow, right? Just take a moment to kind of really just look at what's going on. And, uh, and maybe in during open phones, we'll get into this a little bit better. Uh, but are we on to something here or is this uh, absolute craziness, right? It's an old saying. Now, I grew up hearing, there's no bad kids, just bad parents. And I, for the most part, I've always believed that. And that's probably why I've always been so hard on my kids. Because I was like, I'm not getting called a bad parent because of you, right? Um, but it makes me think, what is your thoughts? You know, what are your thoughts? Should parents be held accountable for what their children do? If you have a 15-year-old who decides to, to get a gun that you, you know, got for him, and go and do some crazy, egregious, illegal things, immoral things, evil things. Should we hold you accountable? Now, we know that the one case where the, the dad helped the kid get the, the gun, that was a different kind of charge. Here, they're charging the mom, I think, with four counts of involuntary manslaughter, as if she um, hurt these people herself involuntarily. Yeah, it's usually the charge you get when, I don't know, 
you involuntarily hurt somebody. But she really didn't do it, right? She, she hurt her kid, and he went and hurt them. And I wonder, can you really hold somebody accountable for that? And I'm just curious. I don't know if I formed an opinion on this. I, I, I see both sides of the coin on this, and I'm not sure where I land. But fascinating to me that that's where we are. And I also want to take a, a minute to give a shout-out to um, some really good hospitality I had over the weekend. It was Fashion Week in New York. And again, I'm not a fashion icon, but my daughter is a fashion designer. And we were invited to the Potro Show, P-O-T-R-O, which is the Spanish word for, uh, for foal, for a young horse. And a really good show. Um, young Wyland was there. And, uh, of course, uh, Joseph Diazetis, the uh, designer, was there. And Zen Sams was there, one of our regulars on this program. It was a really, really uh, good show. It was a fun time. My kid had a good time. So big shout-out to New York Fashion Week. And, folks, we're coming right back with a lot. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Give us a call if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. It's the Monday night edition of the program. I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Uh, and like I was saying before, should we... As uh, Americans, as citizens, as we the people, should we be holding parents accountable for their children's decisions to become a mass shooter? And I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. I, I, I can't imagine there, there is one. I, I couldn't come up with one quickly. But that's, uh, that's the question I'm posing to you all in the audience. Again, 833-482-5337 if you want to chime in on that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this shooting that happened at Joel Osteen's church. Um, I like Joel Osteen. I think he's, uh, he's a great speaker. And I want to talk about it because I think there's a, a lot to discuss. Uh, I also want to get into a little bit of um, Secretary Lloyd Austin. He's back um, with his illness, and he's transferred his functions and duties to uh, Deputy, Deputy uh, Defense Secretary. We'll talk about that as well. And you know, some of the legal stuff that's going on with the with the Trump cases as well. But right now, I want to jump into this because I think it's interesting. Now, 
as we saw earlier today, right, there was a press conference with the chief of police and Joel Osteen and the mayor and whatnot. And it was with respect to this woman who used male aliases and the question of whether is this person a transgender person or not. Uh, the police have failed to really clarify it, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, they just they say she's a woman, but they don't explain why uh, she goes by the name Jeffrey. And I don't know if that's just, you know, an alias or, I mean, if I had an alias, you could say, oh, I, this guy goes by, uh, I don't know, Dick, Dick Valdez, right? There's an alias for you. Rich, Richie, Richard, uh, all sorts of names you can come up with. But Raquel is not one of them, right? And, and, and it just makes you think, why would somebody have a male alias if they didn't pose as a man or if they aren't a man, right? Who really is this person and what is going on here is the question that I have. But anyway, this individual um, went into the church apparently with a rifle, a rifle that had a Palestine sticker and anti-Semitic writings on it, uh, according to uh, some police reports, and, and shot and uh, as I understand it, a five-year-old boy was, was hurt. And then uh, off-duty police officers fatally shot the suspect. So that's how that, that went down. But the Houston police, they uh, confirmed to uh, the Daily Signal in a phone call that the investigation has not ruled out a transgender identity. The uh, public information officer referred to the suspect as they noting the discovery of court documents where they identified themselves as Jeffrey. The officer stated that the department is treating the suspect of uh, the subject of the suspect's gender with sensitivity and noted that the investigation is ongoing. In a news conference on Monday, police cited discrepancies that may suggest a transgender identity, yet authorities insisted that the shooter was female to their knowledge. So I don't know. It seems interesting here. In in some reports uh, referred to as Jeffrey and other reports referred to as the mother of a seven-year-old child. And I want you to hear uh, what the police had to say, right? There's some reports here. Where do we, let's see, we got three of them. Um, let me find these. All right. 20 A, B, and C. All right, so let's listen to the... Uh, Though I don't want to do number 20. That's a little bit long. Let's go um, 20A. At 13.53, at 1.53 p.m., we had an individual pull up in front of Lakewood Church on the west side of the building off of Timmins. She gets out of her white vehicle. She opens the door, pulls out the seven-year-old child out of the back seat, as well as uh, a bag that is with her. She goes, she confronts a security guard who lets her in along the west side of the building. At 13.55, pardon me, 1.55 p.m., she immediately starts firing inside of the hallway on the west side of Lakewood Church. She's in the hall, not in the sanctuary. Multiple rounds are fired by her, at which point, Officer Moreno of the Houston Police Department 
working an approved extra job at the location as well as TABC agent Herrera return fire and the exchange is all there on the west side of the building in the hallway multiple shots are exchanged by all three she eventually falls to the ground the seven-year-old child it falls to the ground as well from gunfire one uh, gunshot wound to the head now Again, that is uh, the voice of Chris Hassig. He's the commander of the Houston Police Department. And he continued uh, giving the identity of the now-deceased shooter as a Hispanic female. However, uh, later reports or later inquiries into the Office of Public Information for the Houston Police uh, indicated that they have not completed any investigation into the actual body and if her body was identified as biologically female or male. So... It, this is uh, confusing for, for many, but stick with me and listen to 20 number letter B. Our shooter is identified by a driver's license as Genesee Moreno, 36 years old, Hispanic female. Uh, there are some discrepancies. We do have reports. She used multiple aliases, including Jeffrey Escalante. So she has utilized both male and female names, but through all of our investigation to this point, talking with individuals, interviews, documents, Houston Police Department reports, she has been identified this entire time as female, she, her, and so uh, we are identifying her as Genesee Moreno, Hispanic female. Now, the police department, uh, again, this is back to the piece from the Daily Signal. The police department did not respond to the Daily Signal's request for comment as to whether she had testosterone in her system at the time of death. Uh, The coroner also did not respond to the Daily Signal's request for comment by uh, publication time. Uh, Fox News reported earlier that uh, Moreno had been born as a man named Jeffrey Escalante in El Salvador and has since uh, changed that report. Um, So it's confusing to say the least. So so, some will say that the, you know, the initial reporting was wrong and it was corrected. Others will say the initial reporting was right and it was corrected to be politically correct. I don't have an answer for you yet, but I know that's the case there. And I know some people are saying, who cares what this person identified as, you know, they went in there trying to hurt people. Yeah. And I think you're right. Now, uh, going back to the uh, the facts of the story uh, for Genesee Moreno or Jeffrey Escalante from El Salvador, uh, entered the Lakewood Church with an AR-15 accompanied by a seven-year-old boy who they believe may be uh, the, the child. The police confirmed the boy was shot and is in critical condition at uh, the Texas Children's Hospital, later identified the boy as the son of the shooter, an unrelated 57-year-old man was shot and injured in the incident. So think about how crazy this is. Um, this is the son of this person, or believed to be the son of this person, and they they shot their own kid. Who does that? I mean, really, who does that? And I get it. You know, somebody's going to yell at me, Rich, how thick are you? Listen, the person was crazy and they started shooting people. I get that. I just, I guess I've never been that crazy and never seen that kind of crazy before where you where you hurt your own kid, and I know it happens. People do it all the time, um, sadly. But just 
Crazy, nonetheless. Anyway, two off-duty police officers promptly killed the shooter before more injuries could occur. Uh, one of them was a cop. The other one was a Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission officer. And um, according to the Daily Signal, if Moreno was biologically female, that would di differentiate her from the vast majority of mass shooters. According to the Justice Department research published in February of 2022, 97.7% of mass shooters in the U.S. have been male. So toxic masculinity might be losing some of its uh, allure if this person is, in fact, a biological female. Anyway, higher amounts um, of testosterone give men larger muscles, more significant skeletal muscle, and a higher percentage of red blood cells. Testosterone also tends to give men unwarranted uh, self-confidence and aggression. I don't know. It's according to the piece. And I, that's not something I know to be a fact. It remains unclear whether Moreno was female and identified as male and whether she took cross-sex hormones such as testosterone, but the drug might explain why a biological female would perpetrate a mass shooting. So that's that. And uh, we'll continue with on this topic, plus your calls and more. Straight ahead, don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. So we continue our discussion on what's going on with this uh, school shooting at Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church in Texas. And we continue with uh, some of the audio here that we have from the press conference earlier today. Uh, Commander Chris Hassig of the Houston Police Department says that the information about the firearms um, was obtained by the police department. Here's what they've got. There were two weapons of hers recovered on the scene, an Anderson manufacturing AR-15, which was what she utilized to fire at the officers. There was a sticker on the buttstock of the rifle that stated Palestine. A sticker simply stated Palestine on the buttstock. Also within the possession of her, uh, near her, what she brought in, according to the video, and she had in a bag was a 22 caliber rifle by Blue Line Solutions. She had that. She brought that in. She did not fire that weapon. So that's uh, the extent of what we have from the uh, press conference today. I'm, I would suspect that more information will come out tomorrow uh, with respect to the uh, the shooter's identity and, you know, 
how they identify and all that stuff. Uh, I also want to uh, note that Joe Osteen is a very popular Christian preacher. Um, he, you know, he's constantly under criticism for like a, you know, just being more of a motivational speaker than being a a uh, Bible teacher. Uh, I don't offer that criticism. I actually happen to like the guy, uh, but he um, he gave some comments. I was trying to read the transcript, but it wasn't clear. Uh, but we do have the audio of his comments. Listen to this. It could have been a lot worse. Of course, we're devastated. I mean, this is, we've been here 65 years and have somebody shooting in your church. But, you know, we don't understand why these things happen, but we know God's in control. So there's Osteen offering a, a word of, uh, you know, so, uh, solace, if you will, saying, you know, we don't know why these things happen, but we know that God is in control. And we can't help but um, echo that and uh, kind of agree with it. I don't know why they happen either. And uh, I'm curious to know the rest of the story, <clears throat> where, where, why, how, you know. There's a lot that's unanswered here. But as with most shootings, that's the case, right? Uh, ultimately, excuse me, it's quite a Monday today. Um, most of these shootings tend to be this way, right? They tend to not give a lot of the story. And I think Dr. Carol Lieberman mentioned it earlier uh, with respect to a different school shooter. But again, they're very similar in in their, uh, their nature oftentimes is that they feel somehow rejected somehow. And this is a, a, a way to get back a way to, um, to get retribution. And it's unfortunate, um, totally unfortunate, but I think it's got nothing to do with guns. It's got everything to do with, with, I don't want to say mental health because that almost makes it sound kind of like innocuous. Like you could have gone to therapy and it'd be better or, and maybe maybe it could be, but these things to me sound very deep, deep uh, rooted things that I have. I don't know. At least you know uh, a lifetime in the making. So for this this person, you know, that was thirty uh, something years old, you know, three decades, three decades plus in the making, and I think that's what we oftentimes see. And ultimately, and this was, I don't know. We had a conversation. I don't know one two weeks ago, where. We were talking with a um, psychological professional. And if everything goes back to your childhood, right, if it's always some sort of childhood trauma from your parents or the way they, they soothed you or didn't soothe you, if everything really boils down to that, then, I don't know, when people are giving birth to babies, you should sit them down and put them in front of a TV and play a video. Say, look, we can't give you an instruction manual on how to raise your kid, but we can tell you if you don't do X, Y, and Z or if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to screw up your kid. You know, doing this will hurt them or not doing this will hurt them. And you could potentially be creating a school shooter or someone that's going to overeat for, for the majority of their life or whatever the case is going to be. You know, somebody's going to be sad. Somebody's going to be suicidal. Somebody's going to be a cutter. And ultimately, I think these are all things that we want to avoid. We don't want to create a society that's uh, disparate from their family, but more that's one kind of connected with their family. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Call me crazy. Anyway, we uh, will continue our discussions this evening. Uh, I want to get into this story. This is an interesting one to me about a, um, a, I can't even talk today. Forgive me. A Canadian charity uh, focused on kids. And when the media gets involved and when politicians get involved, all of a sudden, 
everything gets uh, screwed up. And the next thing you know, they're shutting this thing down for, for fraud. And who loses? The kids. So we're going to get to that in a moment. I want to talk about that because I think it's an interesting story by uh, Tafik Rangwala. And uh, he's scheduled to be with us a little bit later. Hopefully um, it works out um, with Canadian time. And, of course, your calls. Your calls are coming up. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Looking forward to your thoughts and opinions on this stuff as well as your comments on the social media. So keep it locked right here. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. You can always check us out on the website as well, Rich Valdez, America at Night. And don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to talk about this, um, the story of a Canadian children's charity, the largest charity, and it's called What We Lost. It's a fact-based book providing an inside account from a respected lawyer and a former member of the board of the charity, WE. And the folks that we, um, they had all sorts of problems. Uh, Tofik Rangwala stepped down from the board to write this book and take readers behind the scenes of what was going on, the rise and fall of this major children's charity. It's really uh, unlike um, many stories we've heard, but similar to others where, you know, once something once good and well-intentioned gets ruined by media, politics, and corruption. So he's going to cut through all of the uh, headline-grabbing controversies and offer us uh, his perspective on what really happened, why it happened, and who ultimately is responsible uh, for what happened, as well as who paid the price. And I want to welcome to the program Tafik Rangwala. Welcome, sir. Uh, thank you very much for having me. You bet. So let's talk about your book, What We Lost, Inside the Attack on Canada's Largest Children's Charity. And um, give us a, a snapshot into you know why you wrote this. Sure. Um, so, so this is, you know, not a book that I was actually planning to write or wanted to write it. It's something I felt compelled to write. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of an inside account, you know, because, uh, into what is known in Canada, but often not known to American audiences as the We Charity Scandal. And uh, that's the name that's been given to it. And, and essentially what it was was a political scandal that happened uh, at the onset of the COVID pandemic where a charity that I was on the board of, uh, which is a large international aid charity, but also one that focuses on youth empowerment, um, came to the service of the Canadian government. And it's a big international charity, but it's based and founded in Canada, has a long history there, and is a bit of a household name. Um, and it came to the aid of the Canadian government to help run a program for young people to try and find volunteering opportunities and a grant program administered by the Canadian government um, during the first summer of COVID when there weren't many paying jobs available to young people. Right. And the, the charity, which, you know, sort of was very good at administering this type of program because it's what it did, quickly came under fire 
by opposition politicians on both sides of the spectrum who were trying to attack the government of Justin Trudeau. And right away, when the program was awarded to We Charity, there were allegations of cronyism suggesting that the Justin Trudeau himself, the prime minister and his family were too close to the charity or had ties and had worked for the charity and had been involved in its, you know, uh, programming and uh, mental health and bullying and other issues. And therefore, you know, there was something fishy, opposition politicians said, about the decision to award administration of this $500 million grant program to the charity. And that that's the genesis of the We Charity scandal. And what happened after that was essentially just an unbelievable parade of political sound bites and posturing, a toxic environment fueled a lot by a media that really didn't want to talk about the facts, but just wanted to pose lots of questions and not really reveal the answers. Um, and, and ultimately, it created a huge toxic environment in Canada for this charity where the charity was forced to close down because it could no longer survive. And I, you know, through it all, um, I sat through it as a Canadian citizen, now living in New York, though, and working and practicing law here. I, I just watched it all with a bit of horror, in part because so much of the attacks, there were so many untruths told by politicians, but also so much of the attack focused on you know, the charity or the two brothers, the Kielberger brothers who founded it, but almost none of the 125,000 newspaper articles that covered this scandal. Uh, that's how prolific it was in Canada in 2020 and 21. None of them seemed to talk about the beneficiaries of the charity, millions of children and women in Africa and India and Ecuador, millions of school teachers who are benefiting from programming in schools across Canada and the United States and the UK that were provided by this charity and just how all of that was lost. No one was telling that side of the story or giving people a chance to reflect on it. And that's really what motivated me to write this book and call it what we lost because I thought that perspective was really missing. And without it, people really were not able to understand or evaluate what really happened and whether it was worth it and whether it was just. And you know, I was very honored, even though this wasn't something that was, you know, known everywhere in the U.S. It was a really, really harrowing political experience that really talked about the political, the damage that comes from political partisanship and what I uh, call in the book, the increasing Americanization of Canadian politics, which I think most people understand <laughs> what I mean by saying that. Yeah. As you're describing it. And again, whether this is a, a left versus right or a right versus left in Canada, uh, all I could tell you is the the mechanics of it. It just sounds like uh, politics as we know it here, where the media gets involved. You start slinging mud from one side to the other. And voila, you know, something or someone innocent pays the price in the middle, uh, including typically you, we the people. And uh, just fascinating to hear to hear how this plays out. And I think this is a recipe where what well, you might be calling it the Americanization of politics. But I, I think this is truly um emblematic of politics in a lot of places and it seems to be getting worse from what i can observe so let me just remind the audience uh that we're on with tofik rangwala uh he's an attorney and he's written this book what we lost and uh, it's the inside inside the attack on canada's largest children's charity uh tofik hang with us and when we come back i want to learn a little bit more about uh what you think the media got wrong and how um, 
how the, the, the rest of this uh, played out. So stick with us, folks. Again, if you have a question or you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion on uh, Tofik Rangwala's book, What We Lost Inside the Attack on Canada's Largest Children's Charity. And Tofik, what are some of the, um, I, I guess, the, the major losses that you endured um, or that, you know, Canadians endured from uh, losing this charity? Were you serving Canadians or was it a global thing where you're taking money from Canadians and sending it overseas? No, so so we charity was a very big global charity uh, that operated in a number of countries, including both the U.S. and Canada. It actually had a huge footprint in the United States um, as well, and raised money all over the world. And it had two real um, prongs. The first was it was a youth empowerment charity, and so what we charity did is it provided um, teachers and schools with curriculum, uh, curricula to focus young people on what we call service learning. So basically the idea of becoming active change makers and at a very young age, finding ways to volunteer and support your community and, you know, uh, think globally, but act locally. And it had uh, millions of children who were participants in this program uh, where they would, through We Charity Support, volunteer for thousands of other organizations. So that had a real downstream effect. And there was lots of huge ambassadors and corporate corporations and celebrities, all of whom really were very drawn to this organization because it's focused on because of its focus on empowering young people. And then the second prong of the organization was it, it was an international development organization that was focused on sustainable development in uh, villages and communities across the world, in particular in in Africa and Kenya in particular, and. You know, it had that dual mission. It had a lot of support across the U.S. and Canada. It was quite large. Um, and th- that, that's, that's what it did. And, and the loss is really that for 25 years, uh, it was really celebrating its 25th anniversary. This charity had really made a huge difference in the lives of millions of people, young people and people across the, the world in impoverished nations. And in well, particular, how like most, what what type of services or or you know support was it offering right. to the children or young people? Sure. So 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 let me give you an example on the international development front. You know, in Kenya, for example, um, there were dozens of villages that in the Maasai Mara region of Kenya that had partnered with We Charity on five to seven year sustainable development plans to build schools, to build hospitals, in partnership with local communities and the government, to build medical clinics, to build clean water facilities, 
where a lot of girls' education wasn't happening, not because people didn't want to send their girls to school, but because girls in villages were responsible for things like fetching water from miles away that prevented them from going to school. And so We Charity was, in a very thoughtful way, in partnership with some of the major sustainable development scientists and organizations in the world, thinking about how to eradicate some of those problems and then exit these communities when they were left sustainable. So that, that was what it was doing in the international world. And, and locally, um, it was in 30,000 schools across the United States and Canada, um, essentially teaching young people how to be the, their best selves and how to be civic-minded. And, you know, one of the things that I'm proudest of in this book is uh, the audio book is actually read by Martin Luther King III, the eldest oh, son cool. of Martin Luther King Jr. And, and, and one of the reasons I'm very proud of that is he was someone who knew about this charity, had been involved with it in some respects, and I asked him to do the audiobook because he looked on the situation as a profound injustice and something that he felt really connected with his own mission to like promote his father's legacy in the world today, and not because of a racial injustice, but because there was just a sense of profound unfairness to it. And there was a sense that politicians had just, for their own benefit, destroyed something that was really making a difference in the lives of a lot of people. And that the media, rather than being critical and applying some degree of investigative journalism, just sort of added fuel to the fire and piled on to, to make a story in a way that was just really did a huge disservice to, to people everywhere. The Canadian people in particular, because that's where this charity was home and that's where this scandal broke, but right. really around the world. You know, Tofik, uh, as you're describing that, uh, it's lamentable, but we've seen it so many times where the media will report what they feel is the right thing to report for them, right? For more clicks, for more traffic, uh, for, mm -hmm. for more sensationalism, but not always the truth, not always being a, a true journalist, not really going after the facts, and, uh, and it's a shame. Folks, I want you to uh, pick up a copy of this book if you think uh, it, it's something that you want to learn about and give it away if you want to get two copies. Tofik, let everybody know where they can get a copy of the book. Absolutely. Well, you can get it at, at booksellers everywhere. You can get it on Amazon or um, Barnes and Noble um, or any online retailer, um, as well as people should feel free to visit the website for the book, which is www.whatwelost.com, where you can see interviews and, and, um, and get links to where you can buy the book and, and also learn more about the background of the story and read some excerpts. Um, I can also tell you, although I encourage people to buy the book and read, um, the audiobook is actually now available um, in, in segmented <clears throat> podcast form on Spotify, too, and, oh, cool. um, and uh, Apple Books. And so it, it's, you know, my, my goal is, has been, you know, not so much to sell books, but to, to make sure to that the, the story. message is heard. Yeah, and so we were very gratified that this book went to number one on the bestsellers list in Canada. Um, Congratulations. time when it came out. Thank you. But, um, but at the end of the day, at this point, we really just want to make sure you know, me and the publisher, that the that the message is out there so that these types of things don't happen again and that more and more people have an opportunity mm -hmm. to reflect on what happened here and, and think about its application in other spaces. 
Fantastic topic, Rangwala. Thank you for sharing with us. He's the author of What We Lost Inside the Attack on Canada's Largest Children's Charity. Make sure you get a copy or two if you're so inclined. Tofik, thanks for being here. Folks, we're coming right back. Your phone calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And plenty uh, on the table tonight for discussion. I can't wait for open phone America. You know, we uh, get into the conversation of what's on your mind and your thoughts on everything we're discussing tonight. And I know there's a lot to discuss and while I'm in slow motion tonight, um, the news certainly is not in slow motion. The Supreme Court has made their um, decision that they are going to hear that case. At least that's how I, I've read this uh, headline, that they're going to hear the uh, Trump case on immunity. And that's interesting. Uh, also, Fannie Willis might, might be disqualified pending the evidence. Um for uh, being overly involved, you know, having her boyfriend do her political dirty work. So we'll see how that plays out as well. But there's something to be said about the um, scandal we just learned about, right? The We Charities scandal. And this controversy, you know, had its, had its, um, had its time to shine, you know, three, four years ago, back during the pandemic and whatnot. Um, and central to it was, was Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. And again, him and his family, like uh, Tofik mentioned, had some ties to it. And whether that was meritorious or not um, was was beside the point. What was really being questioned was whether it was appropriate or not. And I feel this is similar to what we see with the Bidens, right? You've got the Bidens that are involved in things. You have Hunter Biden, who's got all these business deals. And I think you always have to watch out for what they call the the appearance of impropriety, right? It's not just you being improper, but even the appearance of you being improper is something that comes into question. And I know my time in government, this was something that they focused on a lot. It was, you know, again, you don't have to break the rules. It's, if it even looks like you might break the rules, if it even looks improper, don't do it because that in and of itself is improper. So I think when you have these public charities and they're very big and they're serving lots of people all over the place, a lot of people have their hand out. Everybody's trying to make a dollar. Everybody wants a contract uh, to be a vendor because they know the money's coming in. And when you have $900 million in student grants and the Canadian government uh, during you know the Trudeau administration are now kind of uh, involved, it becomes a thing, right? So... The We Charity, they, they shut down their operations in Canada, as um, our guest mentioned, because they had 
been in the spotlight over Trudeau's administration deciding to have it manage $900 million in a student grant program. These are donations to nonprofits across the country. And this is where it became problematic. I don't think the, at least from my perspective, I don't think the ins and outs of, you know, who they were helping and what and how and why um, they matter. They do matter in, in the macro, but in the micro, I think it just becomes if you have a polarizing figure that's involved, uh, Biden, uh, Trudeau, then I guess you've kind of got to use your your sense. You, you have to have a judicious nature about this and say, you know what, it's probably not a good look. I'm probably going to make things worse, so let me not do that. But that's exactly what happened. So there was a, they thought there was a connection with the liberals, and it turns out there weren't. Uh, or maybe there were. I mean, again, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I think that's how the media reported it, and that's all I know. Uh, but, but what I can say is that I want your opinion on this and everything else we've talked about. So give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Open Phone America starts right now, and I've got plenty to discuss as well. Don't go anywhere. Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to hour number three of the program. If you want to join us, give us a call. The phone number is 833-482-5337-8334, Valdez. And a quick update again. Kemala Eres, Vice President Kemala Eres, is the least favorite um, vice president ever. And along with that low popularity... Um, she's now taking it uh, to another level and saying, you know what? I'm ready. She is ready to serve as commander-in-chief should she need to. Now, we don't know if this is actually going to happen, but hey, honestly, I think it's the best-case scenario. I honestly do. I don't see Biden doing better. I mean, maybe there's some polling going on by Democrats that say, sure, Kamala does better than um, than Joe. All right. Let them think that. I, I can't see it happening. I don't think there's anybody who takes Kamala Harris seriously. I really don't. Uh, if there is, please give me a call. Um, I'm sure there's a few Trump haters out there that are like, oh, I'll take her in a heartbeat. I'm sure you would. The question is, would your neighbors, would anybody else? I don't know because she's never shown this country what she can do economically. And I think that's important. Anyway, that's uh, one of the stories that's uh, on there, and I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, we also have the um, school shooter who um, referred to herself as a man on occasion was shot and killed at Joel Osteen's Liquid Church in Houston, Texas. And 
we're going to learn more about that as that continues to unfold. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I, I become so um, jaded and, and reluctant to even talk about some of these uh, mass shootings or attempted mass shootings because there's just always so many moving parts and it's just so sad, right? It really, really is. Uh, who wants to talk about that? Uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has now transferred his functions and duties to his deputy secretary of defense uh, because he's not feeling great. So we wish uh, Secretary a speedy recovery. And uh, Trump is attending a Florida in hearing um, regarding the special uh, counsel classified documents case that uh, Biden was also investigated and and, um, not charged in because they said, poor guy forgot. Although well-intentioned, he forgot. And uh, that's that's fascinating to me. Uh, I, I didn't expect a different outcome, but I still find it interesting that that's even happening uh, the way that it's happening. So let's uh, let's continue our conversation on this stuff. There's also a story. Listen to this. That is uh, very interesting. A pastor at a Methodist church is accused of selling meth out of the rectory. So think about that. He's, you know, church property, selling meth. This guy's a man of the cloth. Listen to this. But Reverend Herbert Miller, the pastor at the Woodbury United Methodist Church, is charged with possession of crystal meth, along with intent to sell. I'm very sad. I mean, this is somebody you're supposed to be able to trust and lean on, and and uh, they're supposed to bolster up the community. Woodbury police officers recently got a tip that Miller was allegedly dealing drugs from his house right next to the church. We're told neighbors noticed lots of traffic at the home at different hours, and someone discovered a meth pipe on the road near the church. Police allege the 63-year-old Miller was providing the crystal meth in exchange for watching gay couples have sex. Police say the pastor, who arrived at the Woodbury Church back in July, had crystal meth in both rock form and liquefied into a hypodermic needle in his possession. Miller is out on a $10,000 bond. He is due at Waterbury Superior Court later this month. Reporting in Woodbury, Matt McFarland, Channel 3, Eyewitness News. The things that happen in Connecticut, right? A Methodist pastor... Uh, in Connecticut, being accused of dealing crystal meth out of his church. Herbert Miller. And uh, again, that that he's a reverend at the uh, Woodbury United Methodist Church, arrested uh, over the weekend on this stuff. And just, just horrible, right? Really, in my opinion, just horrible. Um, let's see here. He was pulled over by state troopers in Woodbury, Connecticut, and found to be in possession uh, possession of crystal meth in both rock and liquid form, as you heard in the report, and ready to go, ready for injection. Miller was allegedly slinging this meth in exchange for, oh, you heard the report again, uh, watching same-sex couples engage in uh, sexual activity. I mean... So it's, it's like not even he was trying to make money or get rich or any of those things that drug dealers typically do. This guy was just trying to um, get his rocks off and, you know, some kicks and giggles with uh, interesting stuff. I mean, just long wrong line of work is what I'm thinking. If I could say it, that's what I'm thinking. Poor guy, right? And I say poor guy because I'm looking at a picture of him. He looks literally like uh, like the guy from Breaking Bad, like a real-life version of him. 
and it says there's no word on how long this uh, 63-year-old uh, clergyman has been allegedly moonlighting as a meth dealer. The pastor was charged with possession of narcotics with intent to sell, possession of a controlled substance, use of drug paraphernalia, and other charges. Miller was released on that $10,000 bond you heard about, and he has to show up in court again on the 23rd of February. So we'll see if there's an update that's worth reporting on and discussing when uh, when that happens. But this is pretty crazy stuff, I mean, I got to tell you. I feel like uh, every day we, we hear new crazy lows, all right? You think you're at an all-time low, and then it's like, oh, wait, hold on. We can get crazy around here. Things can get a little bit more uh, bananas. Pretty crazy stuff. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts and opinions on that stuff. Plus, I have a report on China I want to share with you. Uh, so feel free to give a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll get into that. We'll talk about guns. As, of course, guns are the big story with the uh, Lakewood uh, Church shooting. And, and of course, that's just going to spill over into more and more uh, rhetoric about how we don't need individuals with, with handguns in our country. You know, you've got all these uh, anti-gun groups looking to pounce uh, on something like this. And I think it's equally as important that those that are supporting the Second Amendment and support one's right to uh, to carry push back and, and know the law because it, it doesn't seem like the, the politicians are going to look out for you, if you know what I mean. Anyway, folks, stick around. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd J. Austin III underwent non-surgical procedures under general anesthesia to address his bladder issue. We anticipate a successful recovery and will closely monitor him overnight. A prolonged hospital stay is not anticipated. We anticipate the secretary will be able to resume his normal duties tomorrow. All right, that's uh, Major General Pat Ryder, Pentagon Press Secretary, saying that, uh, from Walter Reed, that the Secretary of State uh, is in the hospital had some surgery and uh, should be coming back. Um, I think that's a big deal, and it's a departure from tradition where he was out for a number of days and nobody knew anything, right, <laughs> including the person that was in charge. So that that is uh, interesting to see, um, an interesting development to see. I want to get your thoughts and more on that. Let's go to our buddy Doc Wilmington, Delaware. Doc, what say you, my friend? I want to speak about something that I've changed my mind on which is the subject of firearms. 
after this latest shooting, yeah. I believe we, we should have a national a national red flag system to prevent, prevent mentally ill people from getting military-style weapons. By that, I mean high-capacity handguns like Glocks, high-capacity rifles like AR-15s, AK-47s. Those, those weapons do have a place in our society, self-defense, target shooting, and believe it or not, hunting. But um, they could kill under the worst circumstances. So as far as I'm concerned, I've changed my mind, done a 360. We need, we need a national um, red flag system to prevent nutbags from getting weapons. What say you, Rich? Well, Doc, I, you know, I love you, but I disagree with you completely. Uh, I don't know that one's opinion of someone else's mental health is going to make a difference. For example, the, the shooting today or at Joel Osteen's church over the weekend, I don't know if there was anybody that could have called and said anything about this person and said, oh, by the way, I think this person's a, a nut job and we should not allow this person to go and shoot their own child inside of this church. Um, it, it just is one of those things where I think you're going to get more disgruntled ex-spouses, ex-partners uh, calling saying, oh, I broke up with my you know, uh, girlfriend or boyfriend and uh, they, they have guns, I'm fearful, uh, out of retribution. Uh, I think the minute that you're able to start just, you know, this this brown shirt system at, at where you start saying, hey, you know, uh, you know, I don't like what Doc said on the radio. Uh, and I think he might have some guns in the house. Uh, you better go get them. And when it comes to high capacity, I can say this. Look, in in every state has a different um, minimum or maximum on 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 magazine capacity in um for example, in Pennsylvania, you can go up to 30 rounds, right? Uh, you can't do that in New Jersey. In New Jersey, I think you're, you're capped out at, a, um, what is that, 10? Some, I think it's 10, maybe one in the chamber and 10, 11, or something like that. It used to be 15 uh, and with one in the chamber, 16. Uh, that's not the case anymore, right? It keeps going down. And I think this is frivolous, in my opinion. I don't need the government to tell me that I can have five bullets, but I can't have 15. And the same kind of gun. That now my, my, my magazine that used to hold 15 bullets can now only hold 10. And if in a couple of years from now another school shooting happens and me, the private citizen, me, the law-abiding citizen, has to pay the price yet again to say, oh, I'm only allowed to have five in my clip and one in the chamber, uh, it, this is punishing the wrong person. You can't preemptively punish someone who is a psychopath, right? People are going to do what they're going to do. And I don't believe it's fair in any instance to have all of humanity pay the price for bad people. That's like saying, you know what? Um, if there's another rape out there, I am going to make sure we, I'm, I'm calling for the chemical castration or, or at least the, uh, uh the, uh, red flag, you know, if, 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 if it goes down, then I want you to be considered for chemical castration. And until then, we're going to keep you in a, in a, in a straitjacket. You know, it, it's, it's extreme. I think it's extreme to, to suggest that because there is mental illness that exists, there are people that are extreme. There are people that are hurt. And the fact that those people exist has nothing to do with me and my right to do what I want to do or your right to do what you want to do. And as long as, people live in America where we have rights, we should never have a system that allows some stranger to just take away your rights without any any type of due process, without any type of Sixth Amendment rights. I think those are important and we need to hold on to those. So, yeah, Doc, like I said, on this one, I definitely disagree. And uh, you can't, you can buy an AR-15, you can't buy an, uh, an 
AK-47. You just you just can't. Um, those go through a different um, system. So for, you know, like you got to be like a federal firearms ID dealer uh, to, in order to get something like that. It's not even something you could just go and, and purchase. So uh, I think we, we don't have to worry too much on that front uh, of overdoing it. I think we have to really just make sure that we don't sacrifice our liberty for a little bit of clarity with this, that, and the other thing. I think we can always get clarity without losing our rights to uh, protect ourselves and our right to, you know, to keep and bear arms. That's literally the, the right that we have, and, and we ought to keep it and exercise it. Doc, thank you for your call. Wilmington, Delaware, I appreciate you. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to Sarah. Sarah's in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hey, great to talk to you, Rich. I am right in your corner. We do not need red flag laws. And I think if we're going to give up our rights for security, for one thing, Mm -hmm. the more gun control laws we have, the worse society has gotten because the root is not the guns. The root is what sort of society we have. And I will say this. I don't wonder if there isn't a possible terrorist angle because if I remember correctly reading that that woman had a Palestine sticker on her uh, gun. And she attacked a church. Now, if the roles were reversed um, and someone had some kind of pro-Christian cause and attacked a mosque, they'd be playing up the hate angle. And, I mean, if you remember the Nashville shooter, what fragments of the the manifesto were released sound like she had a lot of hatred towards that school as Christian, as white people, even though she was white. And they kind of downplayed that. And I just wonder if there isn't, you know, there's a lot of these uh, shootings that get chalked up to mental illness, and some of them are, but there's also a lot of them that I think they're terrorists. And because they're attached with left-wing ideology, the media is going to downplay it. Yeah, and, and I, I just, I, I don't like the idea. I mean, I, people like the terminology red flag and whatever, and I get it. It appeals. The problem is it's just not a, in my opinion, a constitutional endeavor. It's, it's not... I, I guess once you realize where your rights come from, it's difficult for me to want to give them away. You know, I I can't just sit here and say, oh, because, you know, because um, Sarah thinks that I'm a jerk or that I'm a psycho. You know, I I can't go ahead and do X, Y and Z or have my 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 pistol or whatever it is. I just think that's wrong. And um, and and I understand why people opt for that. Uh, It's like the reason they opt for everything else. So many people are out there thinking, man. If I end everybody's right to own a gun, we'll never have another school shooting. That's the the logic, right? They think if everybody can't have guns, nobody has them. And if nobody has them, nobody gets killed. Sadly, we all know that's not reality. Uh, The bad guys always find a way to do what they want to do at the expense of the good guys. So, Sarah, I think you're you're spot on there. I appreciate it. And what's your thought on on Lloyd Austin and his... uh, his illness. Do you think he's coming back tomorrow uh, in, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed or is he going to be out for a few? I don't know. I think he's going to be out for a few. I mean, I do feel for him. It sounds like he has some kind of chronic health problems and I know how they go. They kind of come in bunches. Um, but, you know, uh, this administration is so inept. It would make you feel a little better. They were kind of up on top of things. But I mean, I do feel sorry for the guy and um, I think he'll try to make a show of coming back. But it just sounds like he has a lot of health problems, and I do feel for him for that. It's just this administration is so shoddy. I just don't have a lot of faith in their transparency on these issues. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're not alone there. 
Um, Sarah, thank you for the call. Big shout out to everybody in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. And of course, we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more. I see we've got calls from Ohio, from Pennsylvania, from Arkansas, from Iowa. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're coming right back to the rest of your calls. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Plus, what's going on in China? If you criticize their economy, they make you disappear. We're going to learn about that when we come back. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at night. We're coming right back. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion uh, with all of you across the country. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, we're talking about red flag laws, the uh, Crumbly case, parents, are they responsible or not, as well as uh, other gun issues related to what we've seen in the news this weekend. I also have a report coming um out of, uh, not coming out of China, but covering China and the economy in China. And uh, Financial Times is reporting that China's consumers are tightening their belts as prices continue to fall uh, because their economy is just not where it was. You've got um, CNBC saying China's biggest problem is a lack of confidence and others. Uh, Wall Street Journal, how China miscalculated its way to a baby bust. This is a big deal. And, um, How is China handling this? They're not trying to fix the economic problems. They're trying to hide them by coming after critics of their economy and making them, quote unquote, disappear or disappearing them, uh, at least from social media. Listen to this. The world's second largest economy had a tough year in 2023. Now, one of Beijing's answers to the challenge ban and erase criticism of it. In December, China's Ministry of State Security issued this order, resolutely crack down and punish illegal criminal activities that endanger national security in the economic security field. Apparently, that includes disappearing negative commentary from the already heavily censored Chinese internet. On December 1st, this prominent economic professor, Liu Jipeng, advised people not to invest in the falling Chinese stock market. Now, all of Professor Liu's social media accounts are frozen. And when you click to follow him, you get this message, which translates, it is forbidden to follow this user due to their violation of relevant rules. CNN found similar freezes temporarily imposed on at least five other Chinese economic analysts. Also removed from the internet, this documentary highlighting economic hardship among Chinese migrant workers. Officially, the Chinese economy grew by more than 5% last year, but the country's youth unemployment rate keeps hitting record highs. 
Across the country, protests as angry new home buyers demand completion of unfinished homes that they've already paid for. Perhaps the only other sector gloomier is the country's stock market. In the past three years, the combined Chinese stock market lost more than $6 trillion. So losing trillions of dollars and quote-unquote disappearing critics, especially economists who say that your economy is not that solid, that's what China's doing. And it's fascinating to see if that we do very similar here, right? Uh, when, when the media, which is largely left-leaning, uh, doesn't like what you have to say, the government will try and just uh, censor you working with social media companies to make you go away, to erase you, to disappear you, if you will. And I think this level of censorship that we see, uh, we see it time and again. And it just, it fascinates me. Uh, and again, just a quick aside, right? A couple of months ago, I, I was on, on, on the air sharing about a visit I did to Palm Beach, uh, Palm, yeah, Palm Beach, Florida, to um, Trump's resort there, Mar-a-Lago. And I met a couple of guys there that go by the name Trump Latinos. They're a, a rap duo. And they... They have a couple of rap songs. They even have like a, a reggaeton song. It's really, really good. And um, they, you know, it's funny, like campaign kind of music. And one of the guys, um, uh, he said, yeah, sure, get me on Instagram. So, uh, you know, we were, tr I was trying to communicate with them on Instagram. And I, when I hit the follow button, it came up with a warning label. And it said, are you sure you want to follow this person? This person has repeatedly posted things that were described as false. And I thought, what does it matter to you, Instagram, if I want to follow this person, right? I mean, it, what if this were uh, a, a, an account on something else that, you know, I don't know. Any, there's so many things that people are on two different sides of. Who is Instagram to decide that this person's sharing, uh, you know, things that are not true? I mean, it's just the level of censorship is astounding. You find me the Rachel Maddow or Michael Moore or any type of um, artist or personality that's, you know, left of center that is being somehow um, censored, you know, just I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening anyway. Um, that's the, the Chinese way, and we're seeing that happen. I also want to get your thoughts, again, on everything we were talking about uh, related to guns and uh, that case where the mom was charged with involuntary manslaughter after her son was convicted of, of murdering, you know, uh, four individuals after, you know, brainwashing and all of the crazy that they went through. So um, let's hit the phones. Uh, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. I want to go to Joe, Salem, Arkansas, K-S-A-R. Uh, Joe, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich. Um, you know, the scripture says, let not your heart be troubled, and I generally mm. don't. But I am very troubled over this mother being convicted of manslaughter. I hope the uh, sentencing day nets her some probation at least. Um, in the story, I have not heard anything about the father. Where is the father? Yeah. Um, I've never seen a woman make a man. It, make, it could happen. Make a man out of a boy. 
And, you know, um, if the, you know, I'm speculating here. I, I base my opinions on facts generally. But there's some speculation here from what I've seen in the past that the judge thinking in the best interest of the child to give sole custody to the mother. And um, she um, she may have been permissive and ignorant, but that's still she's got a life sentence of, of the legacy of that family, um, and especially that son. He'll probably, if he's a juvenile, he'll be out before she is if she gets jail time. And another thing, um, you know, if if that judge, if they're divorced judge, I'm speculating here that they were divorced. He 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 could have passed away. Who knows? But I'm speculating that um, if he gave her sole custody and they're going to try her for manslaughter, get a cell right next to hers for the judge <laughs> uh, because he, he's culpable as well. And it's about time they started taking responsibility. And, you know, in my divorce, divorce case, I warned the judge out of six children what could happen. Right. Now, listen, Joe, I get it. Uh, I, I can say I, I've seen plenty of single mothers uh, do the best that they can do to, you know, to, to raise a boy into a man. Uh, obviously, I think women uh, are equipped to be moms. They're not equipped to be dads. And dads are are equipped to be dads, right? Men are equipped to be dads. And some rise to the occasion, some don't. Uh, but that is what a child needs. And ideally, a child needs a mom and a dad. A home with, uh, with a man who's a, a, a good man and a woman who's a good woman. They're going to try and raise the best kid that they can raise. And uh, unfortunately, in the Crumbly case, you see, um, you know, a mom that would leave the child alone and wasn't, wasn't ideal. And this kid had to raise himself in many ways to the point where, you know, there, there was some serious, serious problems in that household, in that relationship. So uh, very unfortunate and uh, interesting points uh, that you've made as well, Joe. Thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody listening in Salem, Arkansas on uh, KSAR. Now let's um, continue our discussion Let's go to Sue. Sue is calling from Schwanksville, Pennsylvania. Sue, go right ahead. Well, I agree with your last caller. As soon as I heard about this case and that they were going to try the parents, I thought that was just wrong. It's not like they charged her with some kind of gun crime, like being a straw purchaser for a boy. Like the dad in that other case. I'm forgetting the name, but he got the kid the gun and the gun. Yeah, that, that made sense to me, too. Yeah, and but they're charging her with the killings. Now, you know, I watched some of this on court TV, and it was almost as if they were trying her for her personal life. You know, hey, if we're going to start trying parents for not being perfect, half the people in the country are going to be in, in court for something or other, you know. I yeah. just think it's wrong. I'm with you. Listen, and I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the first one to criticize bad parenting. Right? I really am. But I'll tell you this. When you start trying to do that, I believe that, they think this is, again, this is another red flag law, similar scenario, right? Going above and beyond what the law would typically allow because we feel like it's going to satisfy a bigger issue. But it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't think putting, you know, a parent in jail, I think what you want to do is draw attention to the fact that if you have a bad kid, a kid that came out the wrong way, it's because in, in part you weren't an effective parent. There was something that you neglected to do somewhere or somehow that caused this to happen. And I think that's the point they're trying to make. 
I'm sure somebody listening to this is going to say, well, no, Rich, I disagree. You could be the best parent ever. And if your kid is an evil school shooter, he's an evil school shooter. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I'm going to venture to say that there's probably something that parents have done, could have done in a situation like that one where, you know, these things where the kid needed more support, needed a hug, needed, well, who knows what the kids need, right? Uh, but definitely didn't need to um, to be so angry with the situation that he decides to go and uh, kill others and then himself. Uh, so, uh, and he, he didn't kill himself, but that's typically the case, right? With a lot of these uh, school shootings where they end up getting killed by the cops. So uh, I think it's a, uh, it's a very, very, very tough case. Uh, I agree. Now, Sue, what do you think about these, um, these economists that are uh, disappearing in China? Uh, you know, like you said, we're doing that here. Just about. I mean, really, it's just like it's just like when COVID was going on. All of the right. people that we should have been having a dialogue with, they were all silenced. You know, and um, it was just the you know whatever the narrative is, we're going to force everybody to deal with that. And if somebody has an opinion otherwise, whether they're a doctor or researcher or whatever, we're going to shut them down. We're going to shut them up, and so that we could even have a dialogue about it. Yeah, I think you're right, Sue. Folks, we're getting back to the rest of your calls on China, gun issues, red flag laws, immigration, and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. At night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion on red flag laws, China, the gun issues, and everything else we're talking about. Uh, let's go to Leon, Las Cruces, New Mexico, K O B E. Leo, Leon, excuse me, what's on your mind? Good evening. I like to talk about the China thing and. Um, Something very strange happened uh, a week ago. Um, I have some energy stocks, and all of a sudden, they just went up through the roof. And uh, I, I think I heard um, uh, on the news that that they are that the energy sector is really going through the roof right now. And I think China, you know, they're buying our farmland. Sure. And they're also, I think they're in our stock market, and I think they're buying up our stock market. No, I think you're right. And I think they've been there for a very long time and they continue to buy. And there, there was a whole, um, um, I mean, that's obviously how they, they launched so much of what they're doing in their country. They did it by way of investing in, in our economy and it worked, right? It worked to the point where they got us banks, uh, that they had, you know, poured some money into to go ahead and pour money back into their economy and allow them to grow. And here we are. But, um, I, I don't know where we go from here. Like, does their economy ultimately crumble? I don't know. I, I, it's, it's a very large economy, and, and we are, as they like to say in the world of economics, are coupled with them in so many ways. And the threat of decoupling is, uh, some say, is what's driving what's going on. I don't know. I don't know if I could answer that. That's more of a question, for, I think, for one of our economic guests. But uh, I think you're spot on in your observation that they're involved in the energy sector. They're involved in both our stock market and, and other places, they, uh, uh, as far as I understand, they control the 
ports in many big cities around the world, uh, not the least of which is the Canal Zone in Panama. Uh, there's just a lot. And they've got their hands in everything. And as long as they do, they're going to continue to try and wield power over everything. So we'll see how it plays out. Leon, thank you for the call. Big shout out to everybody in Las Cruces, New Mexico. K-O-B-E. Uh, let's go to Paul. Zanesville, Ohio. W-H-I-Z. Paul, go right ahead, sir. Hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, hey. Yeah, I think Gordon Chang told us that the 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 China's economy was in the you know in the in the dirt. Oh yeah, uh, that it wasn't you know it was really bad because I, I I've heard him on your program too, so I really liked him. But I had a couple different comments real quick. Um, now on the lady with what happened to her getting put in prison or whatever, you know, you I don't care if you're a bad parent or a good parent, you can always get a bad seed. Now, does bad parenting, um, you know, um, uh, what I want to say, contribute to that? Yeah, I'm sure it does. But now I have one more thing to say, and this is for Doc. Sure. Now, Rich, I'd called you a while back, and um, I was on the side of red flag laws. But after you had Ted Nugent, and after you explained it to me on your show last week, you know, I'm thinking to myself, no, no. You know, we have to be armed. You know, we have to understand our Second Amendment because there are so many Illegals coming in this country right now. I think I want to be armed. You know, yeah. um, your well, comment. Forget the illegals, right? There's a whole government, right? And that's really the, the purpose of our Second Amendment. It said a, a, a well-regulated militia. The purpose wasn't hunting and it wasn't self-protection as much as it was to prevent tyranny, the, the tyranny of, of the majority in, in our government. That was what I, the founders outlined. And I think... To me, that's always number one. Now, I realize that that's a theory that in practice today is difficult. If our government really wanted to come after us, we're just like the guys with the muskets back in the day. Right? <laughs> a six-shooter, a 15-shooter, a nine-bullet, a, 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 a 30-06, whatever it is, right? We, we, we don't match the firepower of the federal government. Uh, Paul, hang on. We're going to come back on a wrap with you, and I'm going to get to another caller we've got in Iowa, and we're going to call it a night. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with our buddy Paul, Zanesville, Ohio. So, Paul, yeah, like I was saying, I think ultimately um, we everybody should make a choice uh, for themselves. If you don't want to be armed, then that's fine. That's on you. That's It's a right of yours, and you ex- exercise it if you want to exercise it. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I tend to believe that most rights are kind of use it or lose it. If you don't, you don't, Right. You don't use it, then then you probably will lose it. Anyway, Paul, thank you for your call, brother. I appreciate you, man. Big shout out to everybody. W H I Z. Let's go to Nancy, uh, Tumwa, Iowa. K B I Z. Nancy, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, I wanted to make comment about about the gun issue. Yeah. Uh, we live in a town of twenty five thousand people, and I've had three different individuals point a gun at me. Literally one at my back, one at my head, one Unbelievable. My it almost sounds like you're in Oakland, California. I would recommend that you only get one gun. You should get two. 
you know, one for your hip, one for your ankle, maybe one for your pocketbook. You should, I don't know what kind of neighborhood you're living in. You should talk to the police in your area. But this is exactly why people need to be armed, whether it's the, the tyranny of the majority and our federal government or, you know, just a bad neighborhood that you're in. Nancy, you definitely got to take care of yourself. Godspeed to you. I hope everything works out for you and that you are well and you are safe and that you're uh, well protected because I would hate to think that that's the case when me or my children or anybody else I know is leaving their home, that they're going through something like that. Anyway, um, I was just talking about the effects of, of sleep deprivation. And I, I felt like I didn't sleep enough and uh, fell a little off my game today. So I'm going to rest up and we're coming back tomorrow. We're bringing the A game. Make sure you tune in. Great show for you tomorrow. Of course, until the next time, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless you, America. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.